Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or to donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Last week, we began a new sermon series called Unexpected King. And this series really is going to take us through the entire book of Mark. And uh, last week, we covered the first 15 chapters uh, of Mark. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. Last week, we covered the first 15 verses of chapter 1. And I'm just going to kind of give you a a small little recap um, of what that looked like. And then we're going to jump into uh, this morning's text. In verse 14 of chapter 1 of Mark, we were told that Jesus' public ministry started when John the Baptist's ministry ended with his arrest. And so Jesus begins to publicly minister only after John the Baptist is arrested. And if you remember, we spent most of our time last week talking about what verse 15 told us. Verse 15 told us that at the center of Jesus' public ministry, the center of his ministry was this powerful proclamation the kingdom of God is here turn away from your sin and believe in the good news that was the center of Jesus's ministry everywhere he went this was the focus the kingdom of God is here turn away from your sin and believe in the good news and what we'll now see in the next several chapters is Mark demonstrating to his readers what it looks like when the kingdom of God invades a world that is under the control of the evil one. And from now on, Mark's gospel will become a gospel of spiritual warfare. And whenever we see Jesus declaring the gospel of the kingdom, we'll also see Jesus with making amazing displays of his authority over humanity's greatest enemies. Wherever we see Jesus declaring the gospel of the kingdom, we'll also see amazing displays of Jesus' authority over humanity's greatest enemies. What are your greatest enemies? Sickness and disease. Demons and Satan, and of course, sin and death. But before we get into today's text, I want to make a few things clear as we move on. The first thing is this. The primary purpose of Jesus' earthly ministry was to teach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. The primary purpose of Jesus' earthly ministry was to teach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, how do we know this? Because Mark tells us in chapter 1, verse 36, that after a few very long days of healing the sick and casting out demons, Jesus retreated to a desolate place to pray. And when the disciples found him, they urged him, saying, Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. In other words, why have you retreated from everybody? Everyone is looking for you. You're in demand. 
But listen to what Jesus responds in verse 38. He says this, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. I want you to notice something. He didn't come out to heal. He didn't come out to perform miracles. But his primary purpose was to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, in the ministry of Jesus, the words of the gospel were priority. Now, this leads us to our next clarification. And please listen closely because I believe this has some huge ramifications for us. If the gospel was the primary thing in Jesus' ministry, then the secondary results of Jesus teaching the gospel were his works of power. And this is key. Being clear about Jesus' gospel priority will help ensure that we don't make the same mistake of misunderstanding Jesus' ministry the way everyone else did in the book of Mark. So let me give you four implications that come from understanding the gospel priority in Jesus' ministry. Are you ready? Number one, Jesus' ministry was not dictated by the needs of man, but by the will of the Father. You hear me? This is going to be good for you. Jesus' ministry was not dictated by the needs of man, but by the will of the Father. Number two, as a result, guess what? Not everyone got healed. Not everyone received a miracle. Now, this point alone carries some significant theological conclusions. Let me tell you what this point alone means. It means that Jesus did not come to secure for us health. Nor did he come to promise you relief. From difficulty or trials. So can I break it to you right now? As a Christian, you will suffer. As a Christian, you will suffer. In fact, we should prepare to suffer for our faith. Now, this does not mean that Jesus is unable to heal. And this does not mean that Jesus is unable to provide a miracle It simply points to the priority of the gospel. More important to your eternity than your physical health or your financial breakthrough is your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to listen carefully. When we live a life that prioritizes the miraculous power over the beauty of the gospel... We turn Jesus into our personal genie and not our personal savior. Christians in America, hear me out. He is not your genie that makes your wishes come true. He's not. This kind of thinking sees Jesus as a means to an end and not an end in himself. The church that loses 
its gospel priority will fail to produce disciples willing to lay down their lives and serve and instead produce Sunday morning consumers who are only here for the blessings. A lot of churches on Sunday mornings look like the movie theaters. You come in, you get your ticket, you get your popcorn in the back, your concessions and your donuts. You sit down and you say, entertain me for 25 minutes. But don't go over 25 minutes because I have to have lunch. You don't want to hear the word. You want to be tickled pink. You don't want to serve. God forbid you have to do anything extra. But this gospel is a gospel of laying down your life. And so I'm glad we're going through Mark because some of you need to rethink how you see Jesus. I was talking to a young man, and he was talking how ever since Christ has come into his life, his life has been better, and this has been happening, and this has been happening, and, and I got this, and I got that, and I got this, and I got that. And you know what? I didn't high-five him, or I didn't say, yeah, praise the Lord. I said, you know what? You better be careful because there's going to come a time where you're going to be stripped of everything. And the Lord's going to ask, am I still Lord over your life? Number four. So what is the purpose of Jesus' miracles in the first half of Mark's gospel? What are the purpose of the miracles? Well, the miracles are meant to corroborate Jesus' identity as Messiah. They only serve as surface-level signs that point to a much greater and deeper reality. Although we'll see many times in Mark, people have a tendency to want the miracle and reject the Messiah. In fact, anytime there are crowds in Mark gathering around Jesus, typically crowds are a bad thing because they're there for the miracle and not the Messiah. Let me ask you, what are you here for today? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the unexpected king. Sure, you have come to give us life, life more abundantly. You are a healer. You are able to heal our disease and our sickness. And there's nothing wrong for us wanting to bring that to you. Lord, you can bring financial breakthrough. And there's nothing wrong for us desiring that. But at the end of the day, may we, beyond desiring those things, desire you. Whether we are in plenty or whether we are in poverty, may we always seek your face. And Lord, I pray that your word would not come back void this morning but that it would accomplish everything it's been set out to do. And I pray that everyone in this room would walk out of here discipled by your word. And Holy Spirit, use it for, for Jesus' honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now for Mark, the characteristic that left the most lasting impression on Jesus' followers and also caused the greatest offense to Jesus' opponents was Jesus's exousia. Was Jesus's exousia, or his authority? 
Exousia in Greek means authority. And it's mentioned nine times in Mark's gospel. Of the nine, six times, it directly refers to Jesus himself. While the other three mentions refer to Jesus' delegated authority through his disciples. And although many today would love nothing more than to minimize the personhood of Christ by relegating him to some kind of good teacher or prophet, it's his exousia, his authority, that demonstrates that he's so much more than just a good man. And so for the rest of today's message, I want to key in on the supernatural authority of Jesus. And I want us to enter into the question that was on the mind of everyone who came in contact with Jesus. Who is this man? Who is this man that has authority to teach? Who is this man that has an authority to cast out demons? Who is this man that has an authority to heal diseases? Who is this man that can even forgive sins? If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Mark Chapter 1, verse 21. We'll also have it up for you here on the screens as well. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. It reads like this. And they went into Capernaum and immediately... On the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. This is talking about Jesus. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had exousia. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now hold your place there for just one moment. I want to explain. Since the gospel was Jesus' priority, he'd often enter into a city's synagogue to teach. Now, on this particular day, we're not sure what Old Testament passage Jesus spoke from. But what we are sure of was that no matter the passage, Jesus always found a way to tie it back to the gospel. And this is key. In this specific story, Mark is not so much concerned with what Jesus preached, but rather he's most concerned with showing us who was doing the preaching. You see, for those who were in attendance on that day, there was something drastically different about this guest speaker that captivated their attention. Mark tells us he didn't teach like those who typically taught, but he taught as one who had exousia. Now, let me explain. You see, when a typical scribe taught at a typical synagogue, they would teach from the tradition of their fathers. Rabbis would never teach directly from Scripture. Instead, they would spend all their time restating interpretations, opinions, and assumptions 
of what past generations of scribes had to say about this particular section. And so typically, if you'd walk into a synagogue, you'd sit down, and the rabbi or the scribe would lead you in a message, and all he would do is read what other men had to say about other men saying about what other men said. But when Jesus taught, he taught not as one who had an authority from traditions of the fathers, but when Jesus taught, he taught as one who had the direct authority of the heavenly father. You see, unlike the scribes who were simply echoes of what other men had to say, Jesus spoke directly from the word on the basis of his own authority. Now, this is crazy. Jesus' exousia to teach was so full of power, not only did it amaze all who heard, but it literally drew out of a man a demonic spirit. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What do you have to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding region of Galilee. Are you with me? Now this is kind of cool. Jesus' authority to teach has not, only drawn, has not only drawn astonishment from all those who heard him, but now it has also drawn out a demon. Imagine being in the church on that day. Can you imagine showing up to the synagogue expecting the same guy to preach the same boring message? You're just there because you have to. It's part of your culture. Not too hard for some of you because that's probably what you're feeling like today. Could you imagine coming to hear the same guy pontificate on something that someone else said about the dietary restrictions of the Levitical order and the code? Can we eat this? Can we do that? Could you imagine how stuffy that must have been? But could you imagine showing up that day and realizing that there was a guest speaker? Some of you like that. You come to church like Philip's not speaking today. Praise God. We got somebody else. Thank God Roger's here. Amen. He'll break up the monotony of this. Can you imagine showing up that day and that person gets up, this guest speaker gets up, and he begins to preach, but something's different. He doesn't sound like everything we heard before. It's not boring and stuffy, and he's not speaking from the authority of somebody else and somebody else and somebody else, but he speaks as one who has authority himself. And, and just when you thought you saw it all, and you were there and you were enjoying it, all of a sudden, this dude jumps up full of a demon. And I don't know what it sounded like. Maybe it was like some, ah, I don't know what it sounded like. All I know is that thing jumped up and started to interrupt Christ. Man, talk about grab your popcorn. What a day. My kind of church. Yeah, right. If that had happened in here, all of you would be scared out of your mind. 
except for Mama Patty, apparently. <laughs> now, as I read this story, a few things came to mind. First, I wondered how long that man had been living under the authority of the demonic. How long had that man been living under the authority of a demonic spirit inside of him? And second, I wondered how long he had been faithfully attending that synagogue, listening to those scribes, yet still under the full control of an unclean spirit. Isn't that amazing? What a powerless synagogue. Now we can speculate all day trying to figure out why the synagogue and those rabbis were so powerless to deliver this man. But I think the real point is this. It wasn't until a true and proper authority showed up preaching the gospel of the kingdom that the darkness that had so deeply hidden itself inside of this man couldn't help but surface on that day. This is what Jesus does, and this is what the gospel does. The unclean, hidden darkness buried deep within this man couldn't help but show itself when the true authority spoke. You see, Jesus' arrival marked the arrival of God's kingdom. And here in this story, Mark has managed to pull back the curtain and reveal to us what a confrontation between two kingdoms looks like. Now, I want to make four observations from this kingdom clash that I think will be really helpful for you and I. Four observations from this kingdom clash that I think will be real helpful for you and I. Observation number one, notice the unclean spirit immediately recognized the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's so crazy because everyone else don't know who he is, but the devil does. Notice that the unclean spirit immediately recognizes not just the person, but the work of Jesus Christ. What do I mean? While, hum while humanity is still trying to figure this out, Satan knows. And this is interesting. Not only does the demon know who he is, you are the holy one of God. But he also knows what he's come to do. You've come to destroy us. The Holy One of God is here and he's come to destroy the works of the enemy. Observation number two. Jesus does not want the unclean spirit to reveal his identity. You know, be quiet or be silent is actually not a really great translation. It's more like Jesus saying, shut up. Shut up. In fact, throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus will go out of his way to try and keep his identity a secret. Demons will come out of people, and they'll begin to call him Holy One of God, and Jesus will stop them and say, shut up. Jesus will heal men. Men will want to go off and tell the story of this healing, but Jesus will say, don't tell anybody. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, let me tell you why. Because his mission was to secure his glory, not by fame and popularity. 
but by death on a cross. You want to know why Jesus doesn't want his identity to get out? Because he didn't come to be king the popular way. He came to be king through death on a cross. Observation number three. This is so crazy. The unclean spirit, despite its protest, ultimately submits to the commands of Jesus. You see, some of you have this idea that good and evil are these opposite, equal, strong forces. And that there's God and there's Satan and they're both like equally on the same plateau, equally fighting one another. But I want you to know that the demonic and Satan himself serve the purposes of God. That's tough for some of you. I want you to know that when Jesus tells this demon to shut up, it absolutely has to shut up. It submits to his command. And this leads us to the final observation. Even though we have identified this as a spiritual warfare, the battle is really no contest. Listen to what one commentator says. There had been no technique, no spells or incantations, no symbolic act. There had only been the word. Jesus exercised the sovereign authority of God. All he needed to do was to say a word, and even the demonic obeyed. I want you to watch this. For the next several verses in Mark, Jesus will heal many diseases. He'll cast out many demons. In fact, crowds will gather. In fact, there's this one story where Jesus will heal a leper, a man with leprosy. And he'll tell the man, don't tell anybody. And guess what the man does? He tells everybody. Right? Like the demon knows how to shut up, but we don't, right? So, so the evil spirits, they know who Jesus is, we don't. And they listen to his commands and we don't. There's something going on here. And so this leper will go out and tell everybody what has happened. And because everyone will know him as a leper, they'll understand how amazing this is. And you know, there's a travesty at the end of all this. Mark concludes in verse 45. Because of this, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town anymore. But now he was out in a desolate place, and people were coming to him in every quarter. Now hear me out. For someone whose purpose was to teach the gospel, the crowds that were only coming for miracles were a problem. For someone whose purpose was to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, the crowds that were there only for a miracle were a problem. You see, Jesus never intended to turn into a traveling circus. That wasn't his priority. You know, if Jesus was sent here and his number one mission was to heal, then he would have eradicated sickness in the Middle East within a couple of days. Can you imagine how crazy that would be right now if all of a sudden we heard that there was a man somewhere at a particular hospital and every room that he visited, everyone was getting healed completely? Can you imagine that would get on the news that would travel through social media? Can you imagine how many people would start to gather and flood and fly to him, bringing their sick? I mean, have you ever went to one of these guys' healing crusades? And I use quotes. I don't want to offend nobody here. These healing crusades, it's really crazy because when these men come to town, people flock. They flock there. Of course, you can't get your healing until you pay a certain amount of money, but we won't go there. 
And they'll flock to these men. And you'll even see in the balcony people being rolled out from their hospital beds because there's a man that might be able to pray for them and heal them. Now, can you imagine if Jesus was doing that today? The crowds became a problem because they were prohibiting him from going to town to town to preach the gospel. Now, I want to hit the straightaway this morning, and I want to conclude this message with kind of one final story. And then from this story, I want to give you two big lessons regarding the exousia of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the next chapter, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Nice and quiet in here. Come on, somebody, somebody just say something. Somebody say amen. amen. Thank you. Cool. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Scriptures read like this. And when he, that's Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together. So that there was no more room, not even at the door. Can you imagine? This house is packed. And he was preaching the word to them. You see that? You see that? This house was packed, and Jesus was what? Preaching the word to them. Scripture says, and when they, I'm sorry, Scripture says, and he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Can you imagine how crazy that is? Can you imagine being in a house packed full of people coming to see Jesus? Houses busting out at the seams. People are on the lawn. People are outside. People are at the doorway. Can you imagine Jesus there? Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this was a man with exousia. You see, his words mattered because he carried authority. Demons obeyed him. Diseases left and fled when he came. This was not a typical man. There was something different. He had exousia. And as Jesus is preaching the word, can you imagine how awkward, weird, kind of funny the picture of this man on a bed and his amazing buddies. Those got to be some of the best four friends that you could possibly have. Go find yourself four friends, right, that'll take you out of your bed and lower you down in church. You know what I mean? Some of you need that. So I'm not going to church today. Some of you need to go to their house. Put on a straight jacket. Just kidding. Imagine somebody just started to lower down through here. I mean, if I was a paralytic, I'd be a little embarrassed. But I'm going to tell you something. When you want to be healed, your embarrassment doesn't matter. And so as Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom... He looks up, what the heck is going on? The roof begins to open. And there, this paralytic man is coming down. He can't move, but his buddies are kind of acting as a pulley, letting him down. And if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, that's going to win you some points right there. And this is exactly, look what happened. And when Jesus saw their faith, 
he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa. You see that? Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, who can forgive sins but God? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit what they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has a sucia on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And then Jesus dropped the mic. If I was Mark, I would have added that there. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Two final lessons and we're finished this morning. Lesson number one, the greatest need humanity has is your need to be forgiven of your sins. You hear me? The greatest need that you have right now is your need to be forgiven of your sin. Yet, many times repenting of our sins is the last thing we think we need or the last thing we want to do. Can you imagine how anticlimactic it was for the paralytic? All his friends and the crowds who gathered to see this man lowered from the roof, only to be told your sins are forgiven. I can only imagine what that guy must have been thinking. I mean, thanks, forgiveness is cool and all, but I didn't come for that. Like my boys didn't pick up my bed and I've been paralyzed and I've heard that you're a healer. I've heard you've cast out demons. I've heard that you prayed for a man who had leprosy and he was healed. Man, I need to get there. My boys brought me here. They drugged me, put me on the roof, lowered me down in front of you just for you to forgive my sins. Thanks, but no thanks. I came to get healed. But isn't that messed up how humanity thinks? In fact, I'm just guessing here. But I'm guessing that if the paralytic had a choice, this is how messed up you and I are. He'd rather walk and remain unforgiven than be forgiven and remain paralyzed. You see, we come to church because we want God to do something in our lives so our lives can be what? Better. But we don't realize that God didn't bring you to church to make your life better. He came here to save your soul. And until you get the priority of the gospel, you're never going to get this Christianity thing. You're never going to understand it because life isn't going to be good. You're going to get attacked from every side, every angle. In fact, ever since you've been a follower of Christ, you might be attacked more. You're going to suffer. It's not going to go the way you wanted it. The judge isn't going to rule the way you wanted him to rule just because you have Christ now. You see, if you don't get the priority of the gospel, you're going to miss this Christianity thing all the way around.
Because he didn't come to give you some surface miracle. He came to give you eternity with him. He came to deal with your heart that's full of sin. You're an enemy of God. Before you met Jesus, you wanted nothing to do with God. You hated his word. You were a sinner. Yet, here Jesus is reminding everyone who had come to see him perform. Perform. Dance for me, Jesus. Do this for me, Jesus. Here he is reminding everyone who was just there to see a performance. This is what Jesus reminded them. Even in the midst of a sick and suffering world, salvation and forgiveness is our greatest need. It's our greatest need. Finally, last lesson, and we'll finish. Remember lesson number one, the greatest need humanity has is the need to be forgiven by God. And lesson number two is this. Only Jesus Christ of Nazareth has the exousia to forgive your sins. Your sins are forgiven through one man. Only Jesus Christ of Nazareth has the exousia to forgive you of your sins. You see, in this story, the greater work was not the healing of the man's body, but the salvation of the man's soul. That day in that house, Jesus' supreme intention was not to be known as a healer, but to be known as a savior. Don't get caught up in the miracles. Don't get so worked up by the signs. Stop chasing these things. Instead, get caught up in and look toward this, what the sign is actually pointing to. Jesus was essentially saying without saying. So that you may know that I am God. And I have the power to do what only God can do, forgive sins. I'm going to do something in the visible that's going to validate what I'm really doing in the invisible. I'm going to command this man to do something that you feel is impossible. I'm going to tell him to get up, pick up his mat, and walk. Not so that you know that I'm a healer, but that so you would know that I have the exousia to forgive sins. And I love this. Mark concludes, they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this before. The exousia of Jesus can only mean one thing. He is God. He is God. He's Lord over everything. He has an exousia to teach. And in that exousia to teach, hidden things become illuminated. And out of people, the unclean, uncleanliness of sin is drawn out. He has exousia to cast out demons. He has the exousia to exterminate sickness and disease. Yes, he's all of those things, but most importantly, he has the exousia to do what only God can do. 
and that's to forgive you of your sins. So if you're here today, let me tell you, your most desperate need right now is for you to have a forgiveness of sins in your life, for you to, your relationship with God to be made right. What good is it to walk out of here healed in your body, but to still be dysfunctional in your spirit? I'd rather spend eternity with God paralyzed than spend eternity away from God fully functioning. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to have the worship team come up, please. We got to get this part right, church. We got to get the priority of the gospel right. And we got to cast out every idol, everything that we put ahead. And we got to put Jesus where he belongs as the authority in the center of our hearts. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Savior. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life. Maybe you've been going to church the last couple of years. And you know him as this person who just does these things. But you don't really know him personally. You don't know him as the forgiver of your sins, as the lover of your soul. I compel you this morning to make your life right with him. This is why he came to declare the gospel. And what is the gospel? With every head bowed and eye closed, what is the gospel? The gospel is this. Man, we are sinners. We have fallen short. We are not good enough. And there's nothing we could ever do to be good enough. There's no works. We can't give enough money. We can't go and feed the homeless. We can't do good things and be a good person. There is no one that's good. This is the gospel. The gospel says you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to change that. But the good news declares somebody came, lived the life that you couldn't live, and then took the punishment that you deserved. And now if you place your faith in him, you will be forgiven. And that's Jesus. So I implore you, will you make the gospel a priority in your life this morning? So can you take a moment just to turn from your sin? Can you take a moment and say, you know what? God, forgive me. I've made this Christianity thing something that it's not supposed to be God will you forgive me I made this Christianity thing about restoring my family I made this Christianity thing about getting a financial breakthrough I made this Christianity thing about my healing will you forgive me Lord I repent because it's so much greater than that that's such a surface level Christianity no wonder why I'm not fulfilled no wonder why church doesn't do it for me. It's such a shallow Christianity. No wonder why I want to give up. Because I've made it about everything else but what it's supposed to be. Lord, we repent. I repent as a pastor. On behalf of the church. 
And Lord, you are a miracle worker. There's nothing wrong with praying for a miracle, guys. There's nothing wrong for praying for a breakthrough. But even beyond that, we want you. We don't want the gift without the giver. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we repent in this room. We turn away from our sin. Lord, we repent for being consumer Christians. Just always expecting for you to bless us. Giving you minimum. We repent. Lord, on behalf of the Church of America, we repent for just showing up on Sundays. Lord, everyone in this room has been gifted. Everyone in this room has been called. Everyone in this room is loved. Will you empower us to lay on you, to rest on you, to depend on you? And Lord, we're so thankful because you give out forgiveness so freely. You give out forgiveness so freely. You don't hold it against us, Father. In fact, when you look at us, you don't see our messy, consumeristic Christianity, but you see the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So will you grow us? Will you mature us? Will you sanctify us? And finally, we just look at Jesus. Can you just look at Jesus, see how beautiful he is? Oh, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. And I'm not talking about somebody who's good looking. No. No, it's beyond the surface. You're beautiful. You're pure in heart. You're pure in your love. Even your wrath is righteous. Even your wrath is just. You are pure. You are good. You are righteous. So Jesus, we ask, Lord God, that you would continue to make this a church that will lift up the gospel. The gospel will be preeminent in this place. And I pray that when we leave this place, that we would be gospel-centered, gospel-filled people filled by the Holy Spirit to preach your gospel, your good news. Lord, I just pray you would have your way. Lord, we love you. We love your word. We thank you for this journey that we're taking through the book of Mark. And so this morning together, we honor you as a church. We lift up your name as a church. Lord, we just bless you in your holy name. Jesus, beautiful name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Enjoy your Sunday. Be a light. Share the gospel. Put Jesus in the middle. We'll see you this week at Connects, and Pastor Roger will be bringing the word next Sunday. Come prepared. We love you. God bless.